0: Over the years, over the years, I have been on the receiving end of a lot of pressure, a lot of high intensity, and a lot of judgment from Christians over stuff that, in hindsight, really wasn't all that important. Uh, In high school, it was stuff like, you know, I went to high school back in the 80s, and it was the time period of the mullet, okay? So some of the guys, they had mullets. My hair, it just didn't work to have a mullet. So, you know, I had a pseudo-mullet in that it was long, but it stuck out on one side. So I don't know what kind of hairdo that is. It was the stuck-out-on-one-side hairdo. But they had, in in the church that we belong to, man, if you were a boy and you had a mullet, bad. It It was like you were a spokesman for Satan himself. In fact, I think... To this day, I wonder, because I, I think the pastor of the church at that time, I think, really believed my mom was probably going to go to hell because she wore pants. And I'm thinking, you know, again, in hindsight, I don't know if that's, you know, of the, all the stuff that's in the Bible, the whole pants thing, I'm not sure it rates on that. But over the years, I've been on the receiving end of all kinds of intensity and pressure over issues that just didn't seem that important. And when i started out in the ministry i started out as a children's pastor that was the first kind of pastor i was and uh, if you know anything about the typical church structure there's a hierarchy like a command structure and this is how it goes god the board and and if you're a baptist it's the board of deacons and if you're not a baptist it's the board of elders then it goes senior pastor and it can't be a senior pastor like me that talks like it's in adolescence. It has to be senior pastor. Okay? And then other pastors worship pastor, discipleship pastor, any pastor. Then, you know, janitor, secretary, a sundry people, and then children's pastor. Because, you know, you're kind of at the bottom of the food chain in the typical church. And that's how I started out. I started out as a children's pastor. And as fate would have it, when I started out, a book came out, a children's book, and it was called Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And all of a sudden, as a brand new and freshly ordained children's pastor, I had people come into me, all stressed out, high intensity, you know, with, with, Pastor Max, you need to take a stand. You need to get up there and tell people that they might go to hell if they read that book. And I'm like, well, I, I read the book. I don't know that it's going to send me to hell. I, <laughs> and so... But whenever I would kind of hem and haw about maybe not letting parents decide, they would give me the look. You know, the look. Have you ever been on the... The look basically said, Pastor Max, I'm not sure you're a Christian. (laughs) Maybe you... Have you ever been on the receiving end of the look? Maybe because you let it fly out that you... Like, you recycle? Or... (laughs) That you believe in global warming or that you vote for Obama or whatever your sins are, okay? And you let it slip and then you got the look. You know, I, I don't think you're a Christian. Um, and, and it happens. You've been on the receiving end. Maybe some of us in the room, we've been on the giving end, right? You know, somebody let slip that they did something the wrong way. They voted for the wrong party or uh, they, they were on the wrong side of the issue. Maybe they weren't boycotting Disney when they should have. And, you know, you gave them the look. You watch Cinderella. You know, you could go to hell. Um, some let let, uh, let me be honest, some of the issues that are out there really are important and they're life and death, but a lot of them, a lot of them, they're just little tiny issues. I mean, and, and they've happened in, in just recent history. You've got the whole boycott of Disney. I still to this day, I'm not like, what was that about? Why were we boycotting Disney? I don't understand. Um, and then prayer in schools—Are you for it or against it? And you know, if you're a student, you know prayer happens all the time in schools. Lord help me, Lord help me, Lord help me. And it's not just the students; it's the teachers walking into their classrooms. Lord help me, Lord help me. Okay, okay. Um, but here, here's the problem. Here's the problem with all of these issues. Over to, every time that we become obsessed with them, every time that we make. You know, Harry Potter, the number one issue, or what political party you're voting for, the number one issue, we, we have an image problem. We, we develop an image problem in our culture. And what people in our culture begin to think is, oh, well, you guys are just anti-Democrat, or you're just anti-gay, or you're just anti-this. And, and so you get some of the stereotypes of Christians that are out there today in the United States. Christians are just judgmental. They're just Republicans or they're just this. And and when every time that we make these small issues, our big focus, Um, and Reggie Joyner has, has an interesting way of looking at it, and this is what he has to say. He says this, we have an image problem in the church because we have an identity problem in the church. If I were to ask you a question, what is the role of the church what would your answer be? I mean, if you could limit it, I know that this, this book has a lot of metaphors about what God's people are. You know, there's a lot of things that God's people are called in this book, a lot of imagery, a lot of symbols. Uh, there's all kinds of purposes that we're, we're entrusted with in this book. But if you were to limit it, if you could only say one thing, what would it be? Well, if you could only use one word, what would that word be? And I I think for me, it's really simple. For me, it would be light. The role of the church is to flip on a light switch and to show the world who Jesus Christ is. The role of the church is to flip on a light switch and show the world who God is and what God's like. You don't get any clearer than the book of Matthew, and we covered this text last fall. Um, If you want, you can put it up on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14, 15, and 16. Jesus says this, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. In other words, jesus doesn't just command us to be the light he says you are the light when you have returned to your father's embrace when you've come home so to speak when you've opened your life up to god through what he's done through his son jesus christ you become light that's what you are you can't help it okay Um, but Again, Reggie Joyner, I think, has a, has a good qualification. And this man that I'm quoting, Reggie Joyner, is the guy, by the way, who came up with the idea of kid stuff. And this is what he has to say when it comes to light. He says this, Being light isn't enough. The church's potential to influence is linked to how it is positioned and what it illuminates. Let me say that again. The church's potential to influence is directly linked to how it is positioned and what it illuminates. And let me wait into that for a minute. Light, uh, light is, is used a lot in this book. And way back in the old parts of the book, in the book of Exodus, chapter 25, God commands his people to build this thing called the tabernacle. And I'm going to give you some visuals up here. So if you'll put those up, that would be great, my tabernacle slides. The tabernacle, to oversimplify it, And give you a very crude explanation, okay? So for those of you that are theologians, this will not satisfy you. The tabernacle is really a symbol of what God requires to enter his presence. What's it take to be in the presence of God? To be close to God, to be with God? And so God commands them to build this structure. And of course, when you enter the outer tent area, there's a wash basin. God wants you to be clean. And then when you go in, next slide, you go inside this tent, uh, there's parts. And the first part of it is called the holy place. And the holy place has three items. It has a lampstand, a table with some bread on it, and uh, an altar for incense. And uh, I want you to take a look at the next slide. There you go. Uh, It's really important in Exodus chapter 25 where these things are positioned. In other words, the lampstand can't just be anywhere. The lampstand has to be directly across from this table that has the bread of presence. God wants His light to be shining directly on the table of the bread of presence. And let me show you the next couple of slides here. That—that's the golden lampstand. That's what it, what it would have looked like. And the next one. That's the table of the bread of presence, and that really symbolizes God's provision and God's presence. The lampstand can't just go anywhere, it has to be illuminating the bread of presence. See our tendency in the church is to drift away from our main purpose to shine a light. Okay, So we take our light and we wander, we go over here and we say, you got to be a Republican or we've got to get prayer back in schools and some of those things might be important but we end up moving our lampstand. And God wants us to have our lampstand in a particular place shining on something very specific, shining on Him and who He is and what He's like and what He's done. And any time that we uh, make these smaller issues the big thing, the focus thing, what ends up happening is we end up moving our lampstand. It's so important that at the end of the book, at the end of this book, God brings up this imagery again. Um, And it's found in the book of Revelation. Revelation, as I've said before, is one of the strangest books in the Bible. Um, It's the only book that John Calvin didn't write a commentary on. Apparently, Mr. Calvin thought it was just too hard to understand, okay? And he thought he understood everything. (laughs) He didn't write a commentary on it. And in Revelation... This is, this is what Jesus says to John in this very strange vision. He says this, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in the grave. Write down what you've seen, both the things that are happening and the things that will happen later. This is the meaning of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are... The seven churches. You don't even need to have to guess what he means. He tells you right out. And and he talks about seven different churches over the next couple of chapters. And he basically says, Okay, churches are what? Light. Your job, your role, oh church, is to flip on a light switch and show the world who Jesus Christ is. Show the world who God is. Um let, let me bring this to where you and I live. On a practical level, what it means for you and me is a willingness to set aside from time to time our preferences for things. Um, And for those of you that have been around generations a while, you know this about me. My preferences when it comes to church flavors, if I could choose and spin the dial, I'd have like a big kick-butt choir, pews an organ, and at least every year we'd have like a big glorified schmaltzy hymn sing with a good old-fashioned ice cream social afterward. And I would think I had died and gone to heaven. The problem is the people that I want to see reached, they go, huh? (laughs) And so I've set that aside because it's just flavor preferences in my book, and it's not as important as the main thing, as people seeing what God is like, seeing who God is. Um, And so uh, in your life, you're going to have to maybe set aside some things. And maybe at work, it means setting aside some of the issues that we can get so vehement about in, in the church so that you don't end up moving your lampstand. And for those of you that are younger, I want you to know that I sat where you sit. And I remember when middle-aged people would stand up and say things like this, and I would think, you're a compromiser. That's right, that's what you are, you're a compromiser. Well, let me, let me make a clarification at age 41, I am more convinced than I ever have been in my whole life that Jesus is who he claimed to be. I, I'm convinced of it. I don't even doubt anymore. I mean, I, I'm, just, I'm completely sold. I have no doubts. I mean, he, he was the son of God. I mean, he died for me. I, I get it. I'm convinced of it. There are a lot of things, though, that when I was 20, today, hmm, I'm not so sure about. <laughs> but I'm sure about Jesus. Um, There's too much at stake for you and me to move our lampstand. I mean, think about it. Because there are people in your life who are lost. There are people in your life, maybe even in your home, who are wandering about in darkness. And they need you, they're counting on you, to be positioned just so they can see clearly who God is and what God's like. Let me bring this a little bit more specific. Um, if you're here today and you've been away from church for a while um, and maybe some of the reasons that you've been away from church or you've steered clear of God is because of past experiences and past experiences I mean this uh, your church experiences for you were uh, a bunch of people that were maybe a little hypocritical and they nitpicked at each other and it was a bunch of rules or there was a lot of bickering or a lot of politicizing and it just turned you off. And at some point, you decided, you know what? I don't want to have anything to do with that. I want you to know this morning, those are good reasons. I understand it. I get it. But what if God is better than some of your past church experiences? I want to plant a seed today and I want to say to you, don't give up. I think God's better than you're giving him credit for. Give him a chance to show you what he's really like. If you're here today and you're a Jesus follower, I want to ask you a question and I always read my questions because i don't to phrase I'm going to mess them up, okay? So if, you're, if you signed on with Jesus, maybe you did it as a kid, maybe you did it as a grown-up, let me ask you a question. And here's the question. Are you making it easier for people in your life to see who God is? Not just are you shining, but are you making it easier for people in your life to see who God is? I think maybe Reggie Joyner's right. I think maybe it's not just enough to shine that, that we can't afford to move our lampstands. We've got to stay put right where God wants us to be so that we can illuminate who God is and we can show the world what God's like. If you think about light and the qualities of light, I mean, it, it's inviting, it's warm, it's healing, it can provide direction and hope. And you know what I found? There are a lot of people in this world looking for light. They're out there. They're everywhere. And so in your set of relationships, whether it's at home or at school, maybe it's the neighbors who don't cut their grass as often as they should next door, okay? Are you positioned right where you need to be so that they can see Jesus clearly? And that's the question that I want to pose to you today uh, and to me. I believe in the coming, in the coming uh, months in the United States that if we as the church really cemented where we were supposed to be with our light, with our lampstand, so that we were positioned right where God designed us to be, there'd be a lot more people signing on to this whole God thing and this whole Jesus thing because we would be doing what God wanted us to do and be positioned right where he wanted us to be positioned. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to celebrate communion together.